The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning. Today's passage comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. And you can find that on page 810 if you're following along in the Black Bible. Please stand with me as I read God's word. Luke 6, verses 37 through 49. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out this speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word. Well, as you just heard, we are in verses 37 through 49 this morning. We're wrapping up the end of Luke chapter 6. Our sermon title this morning is going to be called The Savior's Pattern. And we're going to stitch last week's idea together with this morning's idea, because if you notice, maybe you have a Bible um, that puts the words of Jesus in red, what you'll notice that where we broke off last week in verse 36, Jesus just continues uh, moving right along in his sermon into verses 37 down to the end of the chapter. So last week we looked at the Savior's people, and what we're going to see this morning is that the Savior's people that we saw last week the profile of who they are, how they live, these sorts of things. What do these people do? And what we're going to see is that the Savior's people follow the Savior's pattern for living. There's a pattern of life. There's a lifestyle. There's a worldview. There's a way of thinking that Jesus specifically says, if you are of my people, this is the kind of pattern of life that you will, that you will resemble. Not perfectly, as we know, we will stumble and fall along the way, but 
the inability to do it perfectly this side of heaven does not negate the fact that there is a pattern that Jesus is laying out for his people as it comes to the way of living. So we're going to pray right now, and as we do, just to maybe get your mind um, set in a particular direction for where we're going to go as it relates to what we're going to pray for here, I would ask you this question of this, just as we're about to submit ourselves to the Word of God, what is your expectation? What is your expectation for the next 40, 45 minutes or so? I love how the Bible so often talks about reading God's Word, consuming God's Word. It does so with the language of eating. And we know that it is possible to pull up to a table full of food, laid out with the best spread in the world, and yet make a decision not to eat. It is possible to have food in front of you and not to eat. And spiritually, it can be the same. In a sense, we've all just pulled up to a spiritual table laden with spiritual food in front of us. Looks like verses 37 through 49 this morning. But as we all know, it is possible to sit at the spiritual table and yet make decisions not to eat, to not consume, to not abide in the Word of God, even here at church on a Sunday morning among the gathered saints. And so my question of what is your expectation is, what are you expecting as we gather around the table and the food of God's Word? Are you expecting to be fed this morning? Are you expecting to hear from God this morning? Are you expecting to be challenged this morning? Are you expecting to hear God speak to you from His Word? Are you expecting the gospel to apply the balm of good news to your soul? Are you expecting to be challenged in the ways that we tend to think in the opposite that Charles was talking about? Jesus, I think, expects us to have those expectations. Jesus hasn't called us to gather this morning because he wants us to waste time. He doesn't say, I want you to gather with the saints because ah, you got to spend Sunday morning doing something, I suppose. He knows what's best for us. And in his extreme kindness, he's laid out a spread for us. And his invitation is, get piggy. Shove your face full. Stick your face in the food and lap it up and eat it up. Because he knows that's where flourishing life is going to be found is abiding and consuming and nourishing and sustaining your soul in what he has to say this morning. So I ask you, what is your expectation? And wherever or however you answer that question, know that right now when we go to prayer and pray to the Lord Jesus right now, guess what? Jesus is ready and willing to receive the answers that look like I'm highly expectant right now all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum where you're like, I'm expecting absolutely nothing to happen, Jesus, if I'm going to be frank. Jesus is not miffed by any of those answers and anything in between. Jesus loves you. And so the invitation is come to him where you're at right now. Know the gospel is standing there, the gospel of Christ standing there with the arms open wide and is saying, bring your expectations wherever they're at, high, low, good, bad, Lay him at the foot of Christ and then follow up your prayer with this. I'm just simply needing you to speak to me today. And I think if we dare to trust Jesus with that prayer, 
Jesus will answer that prayer. Amen? So don't be a spectator right now. Be a participant. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's beg for the Holy Spirit to do these things in our lives. And then we'll turn to God's good word here at the end of Luke chapter 6. Okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, the expectation of our hearts, you know them. And my hope is that all within earshot this morning, including myself, would dare to trust you with honesty. <laughs> to say, Jesus, to be, to be frank, this is where I'm at this morning with my expectations. And then we fill in the blank honestly. Knowing that wherever we answer, however we answer, that we can find the loving receiving smile of the Savior who doesn't love us because we are perfect, but He loves us despite our imperfection. And that is what woos and wows our hearts to come, fall, cast cares, cast burdens, cast doubts, cast angers, cast addictions, all at the feet of Jesus knowing that what we have in Christ is truly better than anything like we sang this morning. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to set me aside. I'm asking you to use me in power and might. I'm asking you to use me as an instrument of gospel proclamation this morning so that the saints, sinners, sufferers would hear the good news of Jesus and his challenges for us and we'd receive them as the invitation they are to come to Jesus. Lord, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Uh, this is a non-rhetorical question, right? So I'm expecting a little audience participation here. Uh, did any one of us here grow up having your clothes made by your mom? All right, were you, did anyone here fall into that cool category where like, you know, you're poor enough, I see one person. Is that true? Okay, a couple of hands. So, all right. Uh, I grew up in that era. Um, we did not have a lot of money growing up. And so if we were going to go get new clothes, uh, my mom was going to make them. And uh, my question for those of us who raised our hands and maybe those of us who did not and did not know how this plays out, uh, typically here's what you would do. You'd go to some store. For me, it was Walmart. This is way back before the Super Center days. And if you remember in the back corner of Walmart, there was always like the clothing section, right? There was where the different bolts of cloth were. There was the big table with the metal channels so you could run the scissors down and you could cut off your yards of cloth and all these sorts of things, right? So what you would do, mom would say, hey, today I'm going to make you um, a new set of clothes. Great. It was always an awesome day. You get to go to Walmart. You'd pick out your cloth. You'd pick out your pattern. You would follow that pattern. And then voila, what you would end up with is this right here. All right, that person on the left is your pastor in all of his late 80s, early 90s glory. You know, striped socks, off-brand high tops. I still have that fanny pack in my house, by the way, that I'm wearing. Hat backwards. But those shorts right there were part of the glory of my childhood. My mom called them jams. I have no idea why. Uh, she's like, we're going to make you some jams today. And it would always be like the more ridiculous the pattern, the better, uh, apparently, in my, in my opinion. And so um, 
you have a pair of shorts like these. Now, the question is, how did you get here? Um, one is because you weren't cool, uh, sort of how you got there, but also how you got here wearing a pair of shorts like this is because you followed the pattern, right? My mom just didn't whip this up out of nowhere. She bought a pattern. The pattern said, cut this way, this much cloth, in this shape, sew together in this way, and if you follow the pattern from beginning to end, what you end up with is a pair of shorts like this. Now, if you can grasp that concept of what it means to follow a pattern, then the sermon on the plane, the sermon that Jesus is preaching right now, right in front of us, is exactly what Jesus is doing. The idea of following the pattern is exactly what Jesus has in mind for those who would say to Jesus, I am a follower of you. Jesus is going to say, if you are my follower, there is a pattern of life that your life will look like. The Savior's people are to follow the Savior's pattern for living. Now, everywhere you look, there is an overabundance of theories about what human life should look like. There's many proposed patterns of living. It doesn't take hard searching to find those proposed patterns. It's in schools, it's in the news, it's in social media, whatever it is. If you just stop and listen and you see the way people think, speak, act, believe, what you will begin to see is this. They're saying something about life and flourishing life. They're saying something about if you want life to its fullest, this is the pattern you should adopt if you want to know thriving in this world. Now, the world bombards our everyday lives with these proposed patterns of living, whether it be marriage patterns, sexual patterns, parenting patterns, financial patterns, relationship patterns, you name it. The world says, I've got a pattern for you to follow. If you want life in this particular area. Now notice that the proposed patterns of the world, they are no mere suggestions. Our culture, our secular age approaches and says, no, I am laying down demands. I want you to follow this pattern of life. These are no mere suggestions as the secular age in which we find ourselves presses with all of its might for total adherence to its patterns. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what you claim. The world which rocks to and fro under the sway of the prince of the power of the air says we want 100% obedience from everybody in regard to these patterns of living. But notice that according to Jesus, according to the King, According to the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, this morning, the patterns of the world stand as rival teaching opposed to the patterns of God's kingdom. Why? Because the solutions, if you begin to just step back and think about the proposed patterns of the world, the patterns the world would say, we, you, me, men, women should follow, what is the overarching common denominator that ties together all these proposed patterns of the world? It's this, the solutions offered by the world ultimately leave the depths of our sin problem untouched. There are a myriad of ways of thinking 
that the world will say, this is how your problem gets fixed. But when you stop and think and tweeze it apart and look at it, ultimately, in the end, I'm not saying there's nothing good that can come from particular patterns. There is a common grace that lands on men and women in the world that live in the world that God has made. But when you get down to it, a Christless pattern is ultimately a failing pattern because it fails to get down to the very root of it all, which is the sin problem that invades all of humanity. The world's patterns will ultimately leave our sin problem untouched. Now, all of this thinking sets the stage for our text this morning as Jesus turns to a string of illustrations. If you notice, Jesus is giving illustration and parable and illustration and parable all the way down the line. And what he's doing is he's laying before his people God's pattern for living. What should the Savior's people pattern of living look like? And Jesus gives several illustrations, but mainly they revolve around two points that we're going to use to summarize this text this morning. And we can summarize these two points by asking ourselves two questions. Who am I following and where am I building? Point number one starts off with this question, who am I following? That's what verses 37 through 45 are ultimately about. Luke writes, Starting in verse 37, think through these verses with this pattern lens about what the proposed patterns of thinking are in contrast and in comparison to the patterns that kingdom citizens are to adopt. Verse 37, judge not, says Jesus, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, if the question, who am I following, had a best friend, I propose the best friend would be another question, who am I listening to? So you have two friends here. Who am I following and who am I listening to are two questions that may sound different, but I'm arguing that these questions are two peas in a pod. Why? Because those we listen to, we tend to follow, and those we follow, we tend to listen to and act upon what they say to us. So if you want to get down to, well, who am I following in this life? Whose patterns am I following? The question we can ask is, well, who are you listening to? Because those you listen to, they are coming to you with proposed patterns and solutions and ways of living. And what they are doing when they are speaking is they are showing you a way to live, a way to think, a way to act. And if we follow them, we listen. If we listen, we will follow them. I think Jesus understands this this tandem partnership really well, which is why he turns and begins this back half of the Sermon on the Plain with all of this language about discernment, needing to discern various patterns, needing to discern who we're listening to, needing to discern who we're following, needing to discern what kind of fruit is evident in the lives of those to whom we're listening or to whom we're following. Everything in these verses revolves around this question and this idea of needing to be a people of God who are discerning, who are discerning. 
you remember last week at the very end of the sermon, Jesus refers to his people as sons of the Most High. It's that children language. He calls us children of a merciful follower. Jesus' disciples, he's saying, are to be radically countercultural. There should be something different about the Savior's people in the way that they love, in the way that they act, in the way that they care for those who are their enemies because you are a lover of Jesus. But now Jesus is saying not only is our identity as the people to be radically countercultural, but even our pattern of living is to be radically countercultural. Listen, inherent to our followership of Jesus is how our pattern of living will be different in our discerning and how we go about discerning. It's important to understand that there's a huge difference between the judgment of discernment and the judgment of condemnation, right? You guys know this enough. Like you could go to the most secular person you know in your life and there's like a 99.9% chance they know this verse, They know the Bible says, ah, you're not supposed to judge. But in context, notice that Jesus in a couple of verses is saying, you actually sort of need to be judging. You have to be able to discern. So Jesus isn't saying that we as his people are to lack discernment, the judgment of discernment. He's saying you are to be people who are not about the judgment of condemnation. You see, when Jesus says, judge not and condemn not, this is not instruction about being discerning. But rather, this is instruction against the pattern which is championed by the world. What does the world say? The world says, here, adopt this tendency. When you hear people bring this pattern of judging, discerning, thinking against others. I want you to tear them down. I want you to be one who harshly criticizes. I want you to be one who backbites. I want you to be one who texts about others. I want you to be one who goes around, sneaking around, condemnatory, unforgiving in your hearts. This is the kind of pattern the world says, hey, people are doing it to you. You better turn around and give it right back to other people. I love the judgment of condemnation and the pattern that that looks like, and I'm telling you to adopt the same thing. Jesus comes along and says, we need to be discerning here as the Savior's people. Is this pattern the pattern that the people of God should adopt? And he's saying no. Now, Don't forget, even though we have split these verses into two sermons, remember Jesus' thought here before us is uninterrupted from last week. We had to split his sermon in two. This is one whole sermon on the part of Jesus. And what does that mean? It means this. Jesus is continuing to explain right now when he's using this judge not, condemn not, forgive, give. This language he still has in his mind, I would argue, this thought. How do the people of God mimic the Father's mercy to enemies of the gospel? Those are the last words out of Jesus' mouth before he turns to judge not, condemn not, forgive, and give. Jesus is continuing to explain right now with these words how we mimic the Father's mercy to enemies of the gospel. How do we mimic the Father's mercy to those who hate you, to those who curse you, to those who abuse you, to those who exclude you, to those who revile you, to those who spurn your name as evil on account of Jesus. This is what we saw last week. 
You see, the world's pattern against enemies like these is the judgment of condemnation. With an unforgiving heart, condemn your persecutor. Retaliate. Don't be a wimp. Prove yourself that I will be nobody's doormat. But in steps Jesus who says, well, okay, that is a possible pattern for you to follow, but it's not my pattern for my people. We are to look radically countercultural. We're to be radically different in this way. He's not saying don't be discerning. He's saying do not adopt that same vitriolic return hate for hate, unforgiving way of living, this pattern of life. Instead of being the judge, you're to judge not. Remember this when your enemies are doing this to you. Remember that God alone is the judge of all the earth. Vengeance is His. Vengeance is not ours. And we can absolutely rest in this truth. Now notice in this pattern of living, Jesus promises blessing. That's what verse 38 is all about. When Jesus says, give and it will be given to you, what will be given to you? A good measure, a heaping measure, a measure that is mountainous and overflowing, a measure that is pressed down. So if I have a container and I put a heaping measure of whatever I want inside this container, I'm going to press this down to make sure all the cracks are filled. I'm going to shake this thing so that all the voids are filled in, and then I'm going to reload the top so that this good measure of promise is running over. He says, this is what's going to be poured into your lap if you walk in the pattern of my forgiven, redeemed, saved people. It's a promise that Jesus is giving. Notice the language of promise. Jesus is promising abundant blessing for those who treat their enemies in a Christ-like way. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in a way where I find myself on the backside of Jesus' promises. Amen? Like, it's not wrong to be stoked by the promises of Jesus. To go, I want to live in the way. I want to do what He's asking me to do as my Lord so that I can enjoy these kinds of promises. Now, I don't think this means or guarantees blessing right now in this moment, present tense. It could be, but it's not always. But what I do think it means is that for sure in heaven, verse 23 we saw last week, we will know the mind-boggling, mind-blowing blessings of life with Christ forever. And those who inherit eternal life are those who are the Savior's people and evidence that you actually belong to the people who know Christ as Savior is that when enemies come to you and they abuse you and malign you and ignore you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil because you follow Jesus, Jesus is saying this, when you return that abuse, not in the pattern of the world, but in a Christ-like pattern. That's a really good sign and evidence that you belong to the Savior's people. That's what Jesus is saying. So the question is, which pattern are you following? Are you following the world's pattern or are you following the Savior's pattern? 
Notice that Luke continues on, verse 39. He shifts by telling us that Jesus is telling us a parable right now. And notice in verses 39 and 40, the parable. It's very short, very sweet, very clear. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit, he asks. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Again, the chief question remains, who am I following? Jesus is not shifting topics here. He's just continuing to give illustration and teachings and parables to prove his point. If we are to be discerning in the pattern of judgment that we are to think through, he's now saying you need to be discerning in who you listen to. You need to be discerning in who you follow. Why? Because when a blind man leads a blind man, they are destined both to fall into a pit because neither can see the way. So just because someone comes along and says, here's a proposed solution for you. Here is a pattern of what might be the answer for your life. Fill in the blank on whatever that might be. We are to be discerning and ask the question, is this person blind? (laughs) We're not just to adhere to what they say because they could be blind and then they're leading us blind. And because we're blindly following the blind, not only is he blind going to fall into the ditch, I'm going to fall into the ditch into destruction, into the pit with him. Extremely practical. Who am I following? Who am I listening to? We need to know, am I following someone blind? Am I following someone who can't see the way? Now, Jesus turns around and immediately applies this to those we allow to be our teachers. He says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, meaning those to whom we listen to and thus follow, if they are blind, we too will be led astray. In other words, it matters who we listen to. It matters who we follow. It matters what pattern of living this person adheres to. It matters what their vision for human flourishing looks like. It matters what they think the ultimate problem of the soul is. All these things matter. Why do they matter? Because Jesus is about to say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. Translation, this person with their proposed patterns and proposed solutions are coming to you, and because of what they believe in the very depths of their heart, they will begin to teach and speak and lead and apply with their words what they believe. So in the context of Jesus' day, his disciples needed to know that if you continue to follow the Pharisees that are in front of you, you are going to end up like them. People who are hypocritical, not bearing fruit that is in alignment with what they profess. And what we need to know is that the exact same thing will happen to us if we do not heed the words of Jesus this morning. You see, it matters what church you choose to attend. There's all kinds of churches out there. The good, the bad, and the ugly. There's all kinds of churches that will proclaim to open the Bible, proclaim to speak the words of Jesus, use churchianity type of words. But you know as well as I do is that there's a lot of evil and wickedness and ear-tickling and gospel-less, thus Christ-denying philosophies hidden with the veneer of Jesus 
but it's a veneer of Jesus that's covering up something that's entirely void of Jesus. You, you, you just know, you know this. I know you know this. So it matters what church you go to. It matters from where they preach. It matters from where they counsel. It matters if we expose ourselves to teachers who play fast and loose with the Bible. It matters what teachings we download from the internet and listen to. It matters what podcasts we eat and pump into our head. It matters which books we read. It matters what counselors we seek out for our problems. All these things matter. Why? Because if that person is blind in the things of spiritual nature, we are giving ourselves blindly to the blind, and Jesus says when you blindly follow the blind, it will lead to your destruction. And so the challenge is the proposed patterns of the world, are they in line with the words of Christ? And where they are not aligned with the words of Christ, we must depart from those patterns. We must. As the Savior's people, we must exercise the judgment of discernment to avoid blindly following the blind and reaping the unavoidable destruction. So the question we have to ask is the same question you're going to hear me ask over and over again. Who are you listening to? Who are you following? Notice that verses 41 and 42, Jesus is going to turn and apply what he said so far specifically to the lives, I would argue, of the Pharisees. Those who are religious have proposed patterns for living, but are Christ-denying ultimately. Verses 41 and 42, with all this speck in your eye, log of wood in, in the other, this is the proof in the pudding, so to speak. Notice Jesus says, listen, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. And that's the key word right there. You hypocrite. He's calling out the hypocrisy of this. First, he says, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your own brother's eye. So right there, if you just want to make a mental note, verse 42 is the counter-argument to those who say Jesus is saying, don't you ever dare judge someone or make a discerning argument against them. Jesus right there just gave you permission. You can take out the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you need to first measure yourself, judge yourself against the Word of God to see, am I being hypocritical here? Am I coming against Brendan Bachman with a standard of living that I'm going to force on him a pattern of life that I'm unwilling to yield to myself? That's what Jesus is against. But if I'm willing to go, brother, the same measure I'm using to measure in your life, I am using to measure in my life, Jesus says, actually, that's how kingdom brothers and sisters rub against each other and sharpen and grow. So listen, when someone is fully trained, verse 40, who is he going to be like? He is going to be like his teacher. 
And in this case, the Savior's people will be hypocrites like the Pharisees if they insist on listening and following to him. So just see here again, Jesus is simply saying, look around you. I know you know how this works. All you have to do is look at those who heap you up with all kinds of burdens that they don't even really follow themselves. Thus, they're hypocrites. So if you keep listening to them, you're going to follow them. And if you keep following them, you're going to keep listening to them. I'm telling you right now, the fruit of their life looks like hypocrisy. And you are not going to be better than your teacher. So if you listen to your teacher, you follow your teacher, you're going to be like your teacher. You're going to bear the same fruit as them. This is just the simple, pragmatic way that Jesus is teaching right now. If the pattern of their lives produces hypocritical, condemnatory, unforgiving, and merciless behavior, then Jesus is calling his people to abandon this pattern. Why? Because he wants the true people of God to be free from hypocrisy. That's a pattern of living the world is okay with. It's not a pattern that the Savior's people are to be okay with. But here's the problem. The problem is that we, you, me, we are prone to think this. You know what? I'm going to be the exception to the rule. I will be the one who follows the teacher and does not produce their kind of fruit. I can adopt secular teaching. I can embrace a worldly pattern of thinking. I can listen to and I can follow Christless philosophies. And somehow I will be the one who does not bear Christless fruit. But, says Jesus, that's as insane as expecting grapes from a bramble bush. That's as insane as going out and saying, I'm going to plant the seeds of a bramble bush, and I'm going to water this bramble bush, I'm going to fertilize this bramble bush, but I'm going to be the one person in the history of the world who's going to bear not brambles. I'll be the one person in the history of the world who's going to get grapes out of this bramble bush. And Jesus says, if you look at that and you hear what I'm saying here, everyone knows if you nurture bramble bush seeds, you're going to get the fruit of thorns. Then Jesus says, examine yourself. While we might grasp that in the realm of the physical, spiritually, we tend to do the opposite. A worldly pattern of living will only bear the fruit of the world. You see, in all of this, Jesus is issuing a challenge for his disciples to listen and follow him. Jesus is the true teacher. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to think that you can adopt secular patterns of thinking, adopt worldly patterns of thinking, adopt Christless, Christ-denying patterns of thinking, and somehow not reap the fruit of Christless, Christ-denying Patterns of, of thinking and living. Instead, he's saying, there is a true teacher among you. And the issue at hand lies deep within the heart. Ultimately, the rival patterns of this world will leave the heart untouched. And thus, they do not touch the real problem. And with crystal clarity, the Bible teaches that the real problem of our heart is sin. Sin comes from the very center of our being. It is our nature to sin, meaning we are not sinners because we sin, meaning we sin because of who we are. We are sinners. 
Committing sin is doing what comes naturally to us in our fallen human nature. This is why Jesus stands as the only answer to the rival patterns consistently proposed by the world. Only a teacher who is able to address and change the heart is worth following. And that teacher is Jesus. That's what Jesus is laying before the Savior's people right now. There's a choice to be made. Which pattern are you going to follow? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to those who will give you words but only scratch the surface? Or are you going to follow the Christ who has proven so far over and over again in Luke chapter 6, He has the power and He has the authority to punch below the surface of the heart and radically transform and change the hearts of men and women. Notice this question, who are you following? Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus rounds the corner right into his second question, which is our second point this morning, and we can summarize it with this question, where am I building? It's point number two, verses 46 to 49, where am I building? Look starting at what Jesus asks there in verse 46. Luke writes, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's just super plain, is it not? There's nothing overly confusing about this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Lords are to be followed. You call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I tell you. This is what someone like this is like. He switches and says, everyone who comes to me, hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it. Why? Because it had been well built. It was on a foundation. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the streams of suffering and life and hurt, sin broke against it, guess what? Immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. You see, true discipleship is not simply a matter of hearing Jesus' words, but it's a matter of acting upon them. That's what true discipleship is. True discipleship is not simply a matter of hearing Jesus' words. It's a matter of acting on them. It's a matter of doing what Jesus says. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to you, you must obey Jesus in order to earn something from him. This isn't works righteousness. This isn't do-goodism so that you can force Jesus to allow you into heaven. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when someone has had their sins forgiven, when someone answers the call of Jesus to repent of their sin and to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of that sin, then you are now someone new. You're not who you once were. You're a new creation in Christ and the evidence of your new birth in 
in Christ is this. You will want to walk in obedience to Jesus. Perfectly? No. But there will be a desire and a drive to walk in obedience to Jesus. A vital part of living as the Savior's people is walking in obedience to Jesus. So the question becomes this, saints. What am I going to do with what Jesus has said? What am I going to do with what Jesus has said? Will I follow the Savior's pattern or will I follow the world's pattern? Will I come to Jesus, hear His words and do them, or will I hear His words and go, I don't have to do them. Will I trust Jesus and build the house of my life on His firm foundation or will I build my life on the sinking sand of Christless patterns? Those are the choices before us day in, day out, second, minute, hour, day, week, month, year, decades, from the day you're alive to the day you die or Jesus comes back. Am I going to live my life in such a way where I hear Jesus, I call Him my Lord, and the evidence of my life that He truly is my Lord is that there is a genuine, God-given, God-planted desire to walk in obedience to the Christ who has saved me. Perfectly. No. I repeat myself. Because I think what we often do is go, well, I'm stumbling here in these areas. And so, I, you know, I don't know if I really have to obey Jesus in this area. It's so hard to obey Jesus in this area. Jesus knows it's hard. That's why Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, comes to those and says, are you weary and heavy laden? Yes, sign me up in that camp. I'm weary and I'm heavy laden. He says, good. I'm gentle and I'm lowly. I have a care for you. I will walk with you. I have the power to change you. I have the authority to speak a word and to radically dump your life upside down. These are invitational words on the part of Jesus. The challenge of Jesus is an invitation to not follow the world's patterns. The challenge of Jesus is to not just be hearers of the word, but also doers. The challenge of Jesus is the invitation to take the foundationless patterns of the world that will crumble in a nanosecond when the world's problems and life just comes swooping against that house. He says, boot that house out of your life. Come to me, the rock of ages, the ancient of days, and build the house of your life on me. Me. I am the firm foundation for you. The problem is a lot of us don't know how to answer this question. Do you really want to change? Do you really want to change? A lot of us have problems. I've got problems. You've got problems. We have struggles in our lives. The thing, though, is a lot of us struggle with that question because we would rather hold on to the fact there's something, I don't know what it is within the, the heart and the human soul that says, I've got problems, I know I've got problems, I'm willing to tell other people about those problems, but when someone comes to me and says, hey, it looks like there just might be the slightest possibility that you are following a pattern not of Christ, you're following a pattern of the world, what we do in that moment is in God's kindness, a brother or sister, not in a judgment of condemnation way, but in a judgment of 
discernment kind of way has come to us with love and care and said, hey, it looks like you might be building this area of your life not on the foundation of Jesus. We have a choice to make. Do I receive this as a kindness from God, from a saint who loves Jesus, who is speaking into my life to say, you're right, I was beginning to build a foundation on something here, or will we go, you know what, I don't want to hear that. You have no right to talk to me. You have no right to speak into my life. Who are you to judge me? We pull that line out out of context, and we begin to build up all kinds of arguments for why we should not listen to those people. Why? The question is because I don't know that we really want to change. It's just easier to always be in the state of complaint. It gives us something to live for. It's sort of like a weird motivator that pulls us out of the bed in the morning. My life's messed up. I'm one of those messy people. And I just I enjoy being that person. Recognizing I have areas that need to change, but I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say and do them. I just want to hear what he has to say and then make decisions according to my own standard or my own pattern of living. It's hot up here, y'all. Are you guys sweating underneath this any? No? Someone said no. Bless you. My man, there you go. We might have my follow-up preacher here. There you go. We need someone who can come up here and preach this and not sweat. This is hard. If you're just sitting around going, yeah, I don't know. This is a pretty easy breezy sermon this morning. Like, I just don't know that you're alive right now. Like, this is punchy. This isn't the butter knife from Jesus. This is the surgeon's scalpel. And if you're not feeling the happy, blessed wounds of the Savior, I'm I'm questioning if you're alive right now. Jesus is not, though, doing this. He doesn't have the scalpel in his hand. He's not going, ah, yeah, ah, like he's he's trying to kill us. Jesus, with surgeon's precision, is doing this right now. He's laying open our hearts, and he's doing the surgeon's work of carefully, skillfully exposing the dark corners of our heart. Why? Go back to what we said last week. He knows this. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. He's the Spirit-anointed servant sent from God. He is the one who can only bring eternal life, and Jesus loves us too much to let us think that if I go around saying, yeah, Lord, yeah, Lord, I go to church, I have a Bible, I read stories, I know Bible sermons, and I know these sorts of things, and I go to a community group, and I know the disciple group, I have all these Lord, Lordy sort of things in my life, but the, the habitual, rhythmic evidence of your fruit is a life of non-Jesus-like fruit. He says, I love you too much to let you go down that path. Because the corollary to this is in Matthew 7, and Jesus says there's coming a day when many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do, insert all these good Jesus things, fill in the blank, and Jesus is going to look at you and say, I don't actually know you. I need you to depart from me because you're actually falling into the category of evildoers. You're telling me there are evil doers who will stand before Jesus on that final day of judgment, who went to church, who had a Bible, who prayed prayers, who went to community group, who grew up going to Sunday school, who have a church background, who has all these monies they've given to church, and they know how to quote scripture, and they even say prayers every now and then, and they serve in the church. You're telling me there's going to be these kind of people who are going to stand before Jesus someday, and Jesus is going to say, actually, you're an evildoer. Jesus is saying yes. And Jesus doesn't want people to say yes. Jesus wants people to say on this day, Lord, Lord. And he says, ah, I know you. And the evidence that I knew you, the evidence 
that you were truly among the Savior's people is that your life reflected the fruit and pattern of my salvation in your very soul. I don't know what else to tell you guys. Here this morning, surely some of us fall into the Lord, Lord category, but we do not do what Jesus tells us. Just because someone's skilled, just because someone's gifted, does not mean that they're able to avoid this question. I'm talking to myself right now. Just because I can get up and spin a yarn and tell some, throw some pictures up there and make some points and preach for so many amount of minutes is no guarantee that I know Jesus. Do you understand that? It's no guarantee that I know Jesus. The question is, does the fruit of my life bear evidence that I know Jesus, whether I'm a preacher or whether I'm a pastor or not? And that's the kind of level of invitation Jesus is saying, listen, don't go listen and don't go follow people who are just going to scratch the surface and tickle your ears and tell you and pat you on the back, oh, you're okay because you're like everyone else. I don't want to be like everyone else because everyone else is following the pattern of the world and I don't want to follow the pattern of the world. I want to be different because Jesus has saved me and because I am different. And that's the invitation that Jesus is laying before us this morning. Jesus is calling for a choice to be made. The sermon of his is pure invitation to come and submit our lives to him, the spirit-anointed Savior who proclaims good news to the poor, who proclaims forgiveness of sin, and calls sinners to repentance. These are the words of Jesus. The question is this, will you act upon these words, come to Jesus and be saved? That's the ultimate invitation from the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, would you come and intervene in our hearts and our lives this morning? Would you come and work in mighty ways? Would you take these overly, obviously challenging words of Jesus and prevent what I think many of us would like to do, especially I know what the enemy would love to do. He would love to make us salty, bitter, angry, upset, Raise our fist at Jesus, how dare he? But Lord, would you work a powerful work? Would you subdue the enemy's schemes? And would you do a great work right now to where we see the obvious challenge of Jesus as a good, holy, righteous thing? Where Jesus isn't saying these things with some red-faced, veiny-necked, spit blowing out of his mouth as he's screaming at the crowds, but he's saying this with the most pure, unadulterated compassion that any, any person has ever spoken these words with. Would you help us to see the goodness of the Savior who loves us enough to challenge us? to consider who we are listening to, who we are following, and what foundation am I truly building the house of my life on? Holy Spirit, lead us to deny self, pick up cross, and follow the Savior. Do this for your name's sake and for your glory, O God. It's in the name of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.